0: All right, let's do a sh- let's do the show. Let's stop talking about James Bonds. That'd be a good bonus episode. Is just watch through some James Bonds and talk about them.
1: Yeah, enough of them came out that we can get through it.
0: It'd be, it's endless content. Welcome to episode nine of Nineties Schmaltz. How you doing, Jeff?
1: I'm doing good. Um, just started up my second summer course.
0: I thought you just did that.
1: I just finished it, which I did get an A on, thankfully. But I just started the new one, which is like a business turnaround course.
0: Oh, congrats on your A. Not on business turnaround. Thanks. You haven't done that yet. Speaking of business turnarounds, I was just reading about shockwave.com because someone posted an episode of the the series The Critic got a third season on in Flash on shockwave.com in the year 2000. Okay. And it made me look it up and I didn't realize shockwave.com was this it had Ben Stein and all sorts of other people and then they just went bankrupt. That's a turnaround. You go from the top to the bottom. That's a different kind of turnaround.
1: Well, now it has online games on it.
0: Yeah, it's <laughs> it's got that same jigsaw puzzle I was playing in high school.
1: <laughs> can can you turn yourself up a little bit?
0: Yeah, I can turn my game up. How do you like me now? I like you. Well, you didn't ask, but I'm doing good.
1: I feel like I never ask, God. you always start that.
0: You never ask, yeah, I just, uh, I, well I ask you and then I just talk about myself.
1: I just expect you to talk about yourself.
0: I'm going to talk about myself, I just feel obligated socially to ask you first.
1: I appreciate that. I rank high enough that you're willing to ask, even if you don't listen.
0: Uh, I got eight teeth drilled on Tuesday, so.
1: Yeah, how you feeling?
0: Uh, I shouldn't have eaten that popcorn last night, you were right.
1: Yeah, well.
0: I got some dental floss like stuck in a tooth today in a strange way. It's been a rough bunch of teeth days for me. That'll fix itself. Yeah, hopefully. I think the lesson is probably just don't floss,
1: right? Maybe.
0: I got a water pick too, so.
1: Oh, that might be even better.
0: That's it's for your gums. You're supposed to floss and water pick.
1: Man, these dentists just trying to get us to spend money.
0: They're like, "Oh, you got a brush," and then they're like, "Oh, you got a floss," and then they're like, "Oh, you got a Go to the dentist more than every once every seven years. Like, this is getting intolerable.
1: <laughs> yeah. Uh, mine wasn't that bad when I was... When I stepped away for the five years when I had no insurance of any kind. Um, I only had two ha- two cavities. Most of
0: my... The bad ones... I think some of these were small. And then the bad ones I had were because of bad fillings I got oh, many yeah, years ago. That. Yeah.
1: And I have one that was like that. That the person who did it, it cracked and it got really bad. Uh, uh, and I'm like skirting the the root canal because they keep they like they've drilled it three times now and every time uh-huh. they drill it they just get a tiny bit deeper and they put medicated in there to try to get the root to recede yeah. and thankfully it does but i know it's you know not. eventually yeah. it's not going to yeah mine
0: just like it came loose so the stuff got under it and so by the time you can see it at the top it's already underneath it's working its way down yeah sucks
1: and you know what i think we might want to do the the intro as usual the welcome with the 90s thing but we can do it at the end and then you can plop it in the front well let's just do it now all right go for it
0: welcome to episode 9 of 90s schmaltz where two 90s guys do a belly flop on the shows we grew up watching from after school specials tgif and saturday morning cartoons we're talking about nostalgia bad acting and why these shows were radical i'm ned and i'm jeff anything new from last episode we already did that did we
1: yeah, that's do what I talked me? about my class.
0: Okay, that's oh, so that is, I I figured that was updates, like corrections and omissions.
1: Oh, add we don't that. really have those. We don't. We only did them the one time, but we do that. Uh,
0: I'll just add it here: corrections yeah. and omissions. And five, four, three, two. Today we're talking about the Larry Sanders Show.
1: We are. I'm excited.
0: Uh, you want to tell me about it?
1: Yeah, the the Larry Sanders Show first appeared on HBO on August 15th, 1992, which was a Saturday, running for six seasons and 89 episodes. It ran until May 31st, 1998, um, and it would appear on Saturdays at 10:30. The show is appearing on HBO. The show was a single camera hbo sitcom that offers a behind-the-scenes look at a late-night talk show giving us a window into production off-camera interactions with celebrity guests in the network Uh, the show itself received universal acclaim from critics and is often regarded as an influential and landmark series
0: that sounds right that's what i saw
1: i enjoyed all of it
0: yeah Uh, so you want to hear about hbo
1: I mean, we should hear about HBO since it really just changed the landscape of cable.
0: Yeah, HBO is a big deal. HBO stands for Home Box Office. It's the first and longest-running premium cable network. It's one of the very early cable channels. It started in, I think, 1972. I didn't put that in my notes, but uh, I believe that's what it is. It was the first channel that you could pay extra for it was bought by time incorporated in 1973
1: well yeah you could um in like the old movies and stuff from the the late 70s and 80s or even just mostly the 80s you'd see like the motels and it would be like we have hbo or whatever
0: yeah it's true yeah it would be a uh instead of just cable it's hbo air conditioning and hbo right as the things hbo air conditioning and pool yep are the three signs of a good motel
1: even when they look dingy and disgusting and there are people, you know, uh loitering about in the movie. Yeah. Still got HBO.
0: Still got HBO. And, and a you massage got HBO, bed. it's not like you need to be outside. Yeah. <laughs> Waterbeds. Uh magic fingers. HBO is one of the early cable networks. It's got that part of that whole ecosystem that I need to read more about because I don't understand it of these regional cable things it started in new york uh, and eventually went up to new england i think because new york had restrictions on the number of on the number and kind of movies they could show so for some reason they didn't actually like they started in new york and then had to move out of new york because of uh, some of the regulations around it and some of these regulations were pretty wild Uh, i wrote a bit about these anti-siphoning laws i don't know if you've heard of these
1: I have no idea. Even when I read through your notes, I didn't get the opportunity to look, yeah, look just, it up. I'm
0: trying to do more of an outline instead of uh, an actual, where, where you but there's no prose. I'm going to do an outline and I'm going to talk on it. Okay. And we'll see how it goes.
1: If you can, um, you know, fly by the cuff, go for it.
0: Yeah, we'll see how it goes. So anti-siphoning laws are laws that are designed to make things that are important available outside of paid services. So the idea with the FCC and I think media regulation in general, most of this is around sports, I will say. This is where you still see it today. The idea is that you don't want HBO to be able to buy the Olympics. And then everyone has to buy cable, buy HBO, and then that's that's what you have to do to watch an important event like the Olympics. So the idea is that things are important enough that they have to be available to people who can't pay the premium price. Okay. So the idea is you want to keep things... Valuable media available to over-the-air, free-to-receive TV, and but in the '60s, the FCC got pretty wild with it, and they said that pay stations, including cable stations, all cable stations, anything you had to pay for, couldn't show a movie if they were over two years out of theaters, but not yet ten years old. So they could show a movie for two years after its theatrical release date, and then ten years after its theatrical release date. But those eight years in between, they could not show it because that's when it was supposed to go on over-the-air TV. That's when it was supposed to be the, you know, the Sunday night movie. Interesting. Or that's when you would buy it on VHS. Or uh,
1: that's a big gap, eight years. How would
0: you? I guess you wouldn't have. I mean, that was that was part of the. I'm I'm just thinking about this now. This is the why the video cassette is important is because it was the first time you were able to own movies in your house, right? That and Laserdisc yeah because in the 70s you didn't have you didn't watch movies at home. You didn't yep. have any way to have media at your disposal other than what was being beamed to your house. Correct. So this this regulation makes a little bit more sense, I guess, in that if all the movies were locked, if all the movies people wanted to watch were locked up in these pay stations, no one will watch the over-the-air networks. And that's what they were defending. but it got overturned in 1977 for being unconstitutional. But until then, HBO was showing nightly double features of movies that were less than two years old. And that's what they did. They would just come on every night, they'd have two movies, they'd be less than two years old, and that was it.
1: Who who yeah. overturned this? Was the Supreme Court?
0: Yeah, uh, Circuit Court, I think. I think it was, it was a, a an appeal court, court yeah. Okay. Anti-siphoning laws you'll still see. In the U.S., it's mostly self-regulated. The NFL has an anti-siphoning policy in that like, you're able to see your local teams... On over-the-air TV, all no matter what. But if you want to see, if you live in LA and you want to watch the New York Giants, you're gonna to have to probably see that on ESPN or somewhere else.
1: Or you could be like the MLB, and you can't even watch your local team sometimes.
0: <laughs> right, and so that's it's entirely up to the, whatever sports team is doing it. And it does seem like anti-siphoning laws generally help a sport maintain popularity because as soon as it becomes hard to get to, it the viewership goes way down. It seems like because at that point, you've only got diehard fans, people yeah, willing I mean, to seek it out and watch it on purpose. Whereas because I understand that college football is fairly hard to watch now, too, because it's all on ESPN.
1: Yeah. And they uh, they'll do m- multiple types of games where you have to have like their online subscription or something instead. They yeah. do that with the uh, MLS from what I understand. I think they have Bundesliga, too, and that all has to be done through a subscription.
0: I mean, it makes sense because don't you subscribe to one or two things just to get access to soccer?
1: I do, but I don't watch any of those. It's my Peacock subscription for um, all the extra games for Mm. um, Premier League. Because you can watch all the popular games, like the late night or afternoon games for us. Um, The evening games for them are on NBC itself. And then for um, CBS, so I can watch Champions League. And that's mostly because they'll only play one game most of the time that you have access to. Because
0: my understanding is that overseas, uh, the a lot of the anti-siphoning laws overseas are around soccer or football.
1: As I word. mean, it makes sense.
0: Uh, and it's to keep that those things accessible to people without it being bought up by someone with more money.
1: I do see some complaints about certain networks in the UK um, making it difficult to watch team in the Premier League and such. So I'm sure there's the same thing with us here with nfl or mlb or whatever
0: ours are all the sports governing themselves though so it's a... well
1: they're non-profits you know
0: yeah <laughs> uh, oh man i'm glad they're not making any money it'd be disgusting
1: yeah it would be awful
0: but so hbo was bought by time inc in 1973 which was interestingly uh warner failed to buy hbo a little bit before that <laughs> which is interesting because now Time and Warner have merged, and HBO is now by far its most profitable division. It's pretty much the beating profit heart of Time Warner. It makes them a vast portion of their money.
1: Hey, I keep my HBO subscription. I find it's probably one of the most worthwhile ones of keeping.
0: And HBO has a ridiculous track record. Because we can go, their first original series was not necessarily the news, which was a satirical news program that uh, I believe The Daily Show says... The people who made The Daily Show were inspired by that.
1: What year was that? I
0: think 82, 83. Uh, They made a couple other interesting things prior to Larry. Ray Bradbury Theater, which is a weird anthology series. Tales from the Crypt, another anthology series. It eventually moved to Fox, but the first season was on HBO. Kids in the Hall premiered on HBO.
1: I didn't know that appeared on HBO.
0: It was a co-production with the CBC, so in America it was an HBO and in Canada, it was on the Canadian Broadcasting Corporation.
1: Okay, because I loved that when they, what was it, eventually showed up on, like, Comedy Central or whatever it was.
0: Yeah, Kids in the Hall great. They just came out with a movie that I haven't watched yet. There's a new one.
1: It's a, not a movie. It's a, a series that they came out with a bunch. Yes, on Amazon.
0: <laughs> I can't. I don't have time for that.
1: The first episode, um, we see all of their, their penises.
0: Oh, awesome. Great. I'm in. No, yeah. I'm back in. You got me. HBO also made the Babysitters Club that one season T V show and Fraggle Rock started on HBO.
1: I did not know that until I read that in your notes. Yeah. I had no
0: idea either. Uh but HBO's original programming as we now know it really started in the nineties. Uh Larry Sanders was a hit. This is was probably their first big hit.
1: Yeah, and this was great. Larry
0: Sanders. And after that they made Oz, the prison drama, which was very critically successful, but not necessarily incredibly popular uh, no, and then they big made this pop
1: culturally like there was jokes upon jokes about yeah, that out in the world but it was
0: uh i don't i don't know that that many people actually watched it
1: i don't think so uh
0: but everyone, people knew about it and it was well regarded but then the sopranos was a absolute smash hit yes. incredibly popular everyone watched it and it probably created modern tv
1: and i have never seen the sopranos
0: yeah i've watched some of it but no i, I don't I haven't watched any. uh, Breaking Bad is the only prestige drama I've actually watched all the way through. And then uh, in the 2000s, they solidified their what they were doing with The Sopranos by making Six Feet Under and The Wire. Yeah. Uh, And I never realized it, but in my research, I found out that Cinemax is HBO's budget brand.
1: Yeah. How? I did not know this either. How does this work? I
0: I thought it was. So when I was a kid, we had three chunks of movie channels that were for pay. Right. We had Cinemax. HBO and Showtime. Yeah. And I assumed that they were all separate and eventually we got stars. Eventually we got the God knows at this point, but we had the three and then they each had Cinemax had two channels. Showtime and HBO had three. I think we got it in a bundle. I I, I, I did not have Showtime for a long time. We had Cinemax and HBO, but it, because Cinemax is HBO's budget brand it was created specifically to be, to show lower tier movies for a lower tier price. That was back before they started bundling things in, and, it, and HBO was never bundled, originally. Cinem- but they made Cinemax so that they could bundle it in with other things. So it was a value add that they could run the same way they ran HBO, just with cheaper and for a cheaper market segment.
1: That's well, The only thing I can think of that I can ever remember on Cinemax, or people talking about, was like Banshee. That's it.
0: Yes, because Cinemax, I looked it up, and has not does not have much original programming at all. And the reason is, is because it's made by HBO.
1: Yeah, so it's just a place to get some B movies.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, There was a fairly large amount of uh, adult focused. I remember that as a kid. Yes. Well, they made they made they made a fair bit of like of their own, but HBO had its own kind of risque.
1: Yeah, but less less soft core porn.
0: It wasn't just softcore porn, but they had their own. They had real sex and stuff like that 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 I remember trying to catch. Yeah, Cinemax. But that's what that Cinemax is, is famous for, softcore porn. Cinemax. That
1: is interesting. Yeah, I mean, that's what I think of it yeah. Do you remember Larry Sanders? Did you Not ever watch all. it? Yeah, I don't Not remember it either.
0: I don't think I had HBO until later on. I'm trying to think when I would have had it.
1: We did not have HBO until I think I was in high school. But, at that But um,
0: but even if I did, I wasn't gonna be I wasn't gonna be turning on. A, I didn't watch real talk shows, so I wasn't gonna watch a show a show about fake talk show.
1: No, for sure. And you know what? I'm glad I never watched it then because I would have not gotten any of or most of the jokes. And yeah. now I can enjoy it.
0: I wouldn't have particularly cared for it. The only time I ever watched late night talk shows is when I was vacationing at the beach with my cousins. But other than that, I'd never had any particular interest in late night talk shows.
1: I liked Conan back in the day, but that was still past, um, post nineties for me yeah. when I would have been watching it.
0: I was a five. Cause it is funny at the end of that one episode, they mentioned Conan, they mentioned three people and he's one of them. Yeah. Which even back in, uh, that's, I that's gotta be a sign of respect, right?
1: I think in general, they tried to do respect on the show. I know that, um, Gary really wanted to try to get Carson on, um, but he could not. But from what I understand, Carson liked the show, and that, I guess, was enough. I That's some just hearsay that I read, but...
0: We got a VHS for this?
1: We do. Um, released by HBO Entertainment. It's the Larry Sanders show starring Gary Shandling. Um, it's just got him standing in the front as if he's going to give his monologue. And then on the back, it says the Larry Sanders show again. And uh, we got episodes... Everybody loves Larry. My name is Ash, Asher Kinsley, Ellen, or isn't she? And then it's just got uh, how the periodicals and uh, newspapers felt about the show. So, like the Philadelphia Inquirer said, "Brilliantly back, perhaps better than ever."
0: Yeah, well, because if you saw this VHS, why would you buy it if you didn't know what it was?
1: Right. Because that's the, the one that HBO gets me the logo. whole every time is the Philadelphia Inquirer one. Because like, yeah. okay, the rest of them make sense.
0: Brilliantly back.
1: Oh, actually, the Entertainment Weekly one says our long national nightmare is over. The Larry Sanders <laughs> Show is back.
0: And this would have been if it's '96, then we're talking about the fourth season, probably.
1: Yeah, I believe so. Because '92 seems right. Yeah, it does. Does seem right. '97 was the last. Well, it might have been five then. So maybe there was a there was a gap in there.
0: Oh yeah, so maybe that's why they're saying it's finally back.
1: Yeah, and I didn't read anything about that at all in when we were reading through this stuff
0: well what a failure on your part
1: yeah and yours
0: i didn't do much research for this one i apologize
1: (laughs) there was a a four-year consideration box set that also had the larry sanders show in it um, released in 1998 it had a promo for the show and it also had oz and garth live pentagon wars breast men among them and when i originally tried to find this for your consideration box uh, I just kind of Googled it, and all of the results were .cas. Everything was Canadian-related. Um, I had to look deeper to be able to actually find the U.S. version of this. And the U.S. and Canadian, uh, for your consideration, box sets are different. They both had Larry in it, but they had different other things. So what else could we be watching?
0: All right, we got some...
1: At 10.30 on a Saturday.
0: Yeah. Surprisingly less than I would have thought. I've This is a fun one because... I've never heard of most of these. Now we got Jake and the Fat Man. Note from the editor's closet. After recording Diagnosis Murder, it's funny to hear how little we knew about Jake and the Fat Man. Which is, uh, it, all these got a bunch of seasons. The, the one the things I'm going to read on read about Jake and the Fat Man is a legal. The Fat Man is the prosecutor, I think Jake is a cop. And that's what they do. This is a fun. TV guide listing because I like that it it gives us a lot of detail about these repeats of a show. It tells us what's going on. This is the conclusion, you know, with McCabe on the ropes, Jake identifies the trigger man. And it gives us a guest cast, three three of the guest cast for each of these shows. Sisters. Uh now Sisters is a I don't know who's in that. But that looked all right. The, but this is again it's a it's a sitcom with six episode with six seasons, I think behind it.
1: Is it Sisters? Is it a television show? From when? Oh, I found it. Yeah. There's a lot like... of things called Sisters, by the way.
0: Yeah. It, that's that was why it was hard. But it is uh
1: 91 through 96. Okay. So it w-
0: Yeah, it's got like uh it's got a Judd in it. That's a Judd, right? Ashley Judd, yeah.
1: Yes, 31 episodes of 127 episodes. She's pretty far down there. What's up, six seasons? George Clooney's on it for 19 episodes.
0: Wow! And then we got the Commish, which is a comedy drama about a police commissioner.
1: Sounds riveting.
0: Yeah, it really does. And then we've got, uh, you know, Are You Being Served? The British comedy series on what I assume is probably a PBS channel because that was the only place you could get British TV in during the 90s. that time
1: period. What where's this TV guy? Is this a DC TV guy?
0: I think this is a New York one. Okay. Uh, and then going, moving on, we got a uh, Yo MTV Raps. Uh, Nickelodeon showing a Mary Tyler Moore marathon for eight hours.
1: <laughs> wow, that's great.
0: VCR Plus users, for the first six hours, three nine five three five four one. For the remainder, four five zero one four five. Don't know what that means, but I don't it's either. here in the TV guide and fascinating to read. And then on USA, we've got Silk Stockings, which is a show that I am interested in covering. That was one of USA's first really successful series, and it is... I've got the description here. The daily lives of two detectives who solve sexually-based crimes of passions, quote, silk stockings, among the ultra-rich. And it's, uh, I believe, just kind of a very... It's not softcore porn, but it is a very erotic procedural. Okay. And then at 10.30, which is... So those were hour-long series that are that would go into Larry Sanders. Right. At 10.30 directly against it, we've got Super Force, which I sent you the opener for.
1: Oh, man. It's not exciting.
0: It's a particularly awful-looking uh, sci-fi action series with a big suit of armor.
1: The best part about the video is when the VHS uh, wigs out a well, little bit. And, wobbles uh, a little bit. Yeah, it changes. Yeah. Frequency. When the,
0: the tracking's not really working right on it. <laughs> And that's pretty much it, other than, like, we got some sports stuff. Uh, There's, like, uh, a Western movie on TNT, Ford Apache.
1: There's a Lifetime drama. A young woman uh, is torn between her desire to be a baseball player and the responsibility of adult life called Hidden Room. Thanks, Lifetime. Such an odd title for that description, though. Well,
0: it's the Hidden Room uh, in the baseball stadium.
1: I didn't know there was a hidden room. (laughs)
0: It's called Responsibility. So yeah, I don't know much else that you'd want to be watching here.
1: Yeah, if you had HBO, that would probably be the best thing to be watching. Who made this? You want to do that part? Sure,
0: this is produced by Company. Brillstein Grey Entertainment.
1: Yeah, those. Everything underneath that.
0: (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Disappointed! (laughs) They made The Cable Guy, Happy Gilmore, The Wedding Singer, The Sopranos. Def Comedy Jam, Jeff Foxworthy show. Just shoot me. And uh, this is it. Says new favorite of mine, but that's Jeff's writing. Yeah, Central I did Park the on Apple TV. Tell I me, I love
1: about Central it. Park. It's a a musical version of Bob's Burgers where they run Central Park.
0: Yeah, these guys have been around for a really long time and done a lot of good stuff. Blues Brothers and Ghostbusters.
1: Yeah, I believe so. Uh, yeah. Back in the day, because they've been around since '69 or so.
0: Good stuff. This is also made by HBO Entertainment, Columbia Pictures Television, and distributed by Columbia TriStar.
1: Uh, the series was created by Dennis Klein and Gary Shandling. Dennis Klein, uh, he's got twenty-two writer credits. Uh, he developed the Cosby. No, not the Cosby. He de- developed Cosby from nineteen ninety-six.
0: I remember watching that with my parents. The nineties reboot of him about him being an old man.
1: Um. He also was a writer on Buffalo Bill. Um. He. Also wrote Mary Hartman, Mary Hartman, and I added this on here because this show had um, 325 episodes, and Klein was the head writer for 145. And the premise of the show is a small town housewife struggling to cope with the increasing bizarre and violent events unfolding unfolding around her. That's what it is labeled as itself.
0: I wanted to, I looked this up. I wanted to go. I want to actually track some of this down because I understand. So it's a parody soap opera. Okay, so there's a like one of a beloved character drowns in a, uh, bowl of chicken noodle soup that she made for him. Oh my god! Like that's the uh, that's a famous moment of the show, and then they have his funeral in the kitchen.
1: <laughs>
0: it sounds like something.
1: It does sound like something, and that's a lot of episodes.
0: Yeah, well, it's, it was a soap opera, so
1: it does that makes way more sense uh-huh. now that I know it was a soap yeah. opera. Um, Klein also had ten producer credits, including executive producer for Cosby. And then Gary Shandling, who has 33 Actor, um, The Gary Shandling Show. He's Senator Stern in the Marvelverse. Um, He had 19 writer credits, including Sanford and Son. Nice. um, Four Grammy Awards, three Emmy Awards, and then he has seven producer credits. We also have executive produced by Brad Gray um, on 89 of the episodes he uh, had 63 total producer credits including the Jeff Foxworthy show, News Radio, Steve Harvey, Sopranos. Gary Shandling was also an executive producer and then there's Paul Sims who was executive producer for 35 episodes and Peter Tolan for 39 episodes and the two of them did a bunch of stuff. Sims um a little more active. He had 15 producer credits and he's done Atlanta, What We Do in the Shadows, Girls. Those are so good they're credits. all more uh, recent. And then Peter Tolan, thirty-nine writer credits, including Murphy Brown, Rescue Me, and his twenty-eight producer credits, like Jim Gaffigan, Home Improvement, Murphy Brown. Nice. The music is by Frank Fitzpatrick. The gentleman has twenty-nine composer and twenty-eight soundtrack credits. Um, These include Heartbreak Hotel, Scary Movie Three, Nuns on the Run, and then I remember the
0: soundtrack from Scary Movie Three, but I I don't either
1: thirty four music department credits teen wolf the t v show Rambo the t v show, and then Friday is
0: that a recent Rambo t v show no this is not the is this a Rambo cartoon?
1: It may have been the Rambo cartoon uh. I know that uh for the Larry Sanders show, Frank released um the actual soundtrack like a remastered soundtrack in twenty nineteen
0: That's so strange I mean good for him. <laughs> I'm glad everyone should be releasing strange things that no one listens to.
1: Well, I went looking for the title track and I actually had a hard time just randomly Googling it. The only thing you can find is like a clip from the show, nothing else. And I finally just started Googling around and found his name. And then uh, I could find that, you know, they just recently released the um, the soundtrack. And then we have the main cast. Um, there's a lot of people in this show. Oh, sure is. I'm just going to go through. I'll give the main actors, which is anybody who has more than 40 episodes under their belt, which we have Gary Shandling as Larry Sanders. We already went over him, but uh, a little more background. Shandling performed his first stand-up routine in 1978 at the Comedy Store in Los Angeles. Uh, Hank Kinsley, which is our Larry's sidekick, played by Jeffrey Tambor, he appears in 89 episodes. Um, he has a 211 total actor credits. And, you know, I think he's probably best known as George Bluth, senior in Arrested Development at this point. Or, you know, everything that happened after he starred in Transparent. Yeah. And then 11 episodes of Archer. He was in Three's Company. Actually, in Three's Company, he played three different characters. And his first start was uh, Kojak. I have Hellboy on there, too, if anybody, you know obviously
0: what are you doing hell boy
1: the um the commissioner whatever you would call him
0: why is it in these pictures the pictures of aliens ufo the yeti
1: why is it they're always out of focus i haven't seen that movie since it came out well, it's been a long time since i've seen it we have phil played by wallace langham he appears in 89 episodes he's got fast times wiou which is a new show starring John Shia, who is Lex Luthor in Lewis and Clark. 67 episodes of Veronica's Closet. And he's got one episode of Star Trek Voyager. Great. And then we move on to Arthur, played by The Riptorn. Shows up for 89 episodes, and, I mean, it's Riptorn. 191 actor credits. Maybe his most popular is Men in Black as Zed. We're not hosting an intergalactic kegger down here. Uh, he was in 1979's Heartland, Dodgeball, a true underdog story, Summer Rental with John Candy, directed by Carl Reiner.
0: I was just making sure I had Summer Rental.
1: <laughs> Cross, Keek, uh, Cross Creek, excuse me, the Cincinnati kid. And then uh, he was on seven episodes of 30 Rock, which I do not yeah, remember.
0: I don't remember, but sure.
1: Uh, Beverly Farns, played by Penny Johnson Gerald. 82 episodes. She's got 73 actor credits. Um, she was on the Jeffersons, Paper Chase, uh, Star Trek: The Next Generation, one episode, ER, nine episodes, and then we get 15 episodes of Star Trek: Deep Space Nine, mm, where yeah, she's, she's Cassidy, Cassidy Yates Hates or Cassidy Yates Cisco,
0: Cisco's girlfriend, then wife.
1: And then she was um, Sherry Palmer on 24, and mm. she appeared on 93 episodes of Castle. I did not watch 24. I did not either, but I remember a lot of people talking about it. (laughs) Paula played by Janine Garofalo. Uh, She appears in 52 episodes. The comedian Janine Garofalo. She's got 166 actor credits. Uh, She was on SNL from 94 to 95. Her very first appearance is Kiki Delivery Service as Ursula. Um, She was an actor on the Ben Stiller show, also a writer. She had 11 writer credits. She's on Felicity. She was also on 24.
0: My touchdowns for her are the movie Mystery Men.
1: Honestly, that's the same thing for me and for Seinfeld. That's what I can remember her from.
0: Oh, and Wet Hot American Summer.
1: Oh, yes, that's right. Um, last of the 40-plus, uh, Darlene Chapini was played by Linda Duchette. She's got eight, or actor, eight actor credits. Uh, they're all walk-ons. From Tales from the Crypt, Gary Shandling Show, Herman's Head, um, and she was Shanling's fiance from 1987 to 1994. Wow. Who um, Gary never actually married. I think that's all he had was the fiance for the few years.
0: Wow.
1: And then we have under forty episodes, and these are like reoccurring um, actors where they you know play somebody else. And they don't show up as themselves. Um, we do have a Sid Newman, thirty-seven episodes. Scott Thompson, it's Brian. Jeremy Piven is on this for 26 episodes. Catherine Harold, which is uh, Francine Sanders in the show. Marilyn uh Rescub, she's an 18. Megan Gallagher plays Janine Sanders, who's Larry's like wife at the start of the series. And then Bob Odenkirk, uh, he's Stevie Grant, the agent. Going on to
0: Mr. Show, another HBO.
1: Yep. And he's great. We get to see him, what, in the last episode play yeah. the character. I mean, it's classic crying Bob about how bad actors are. Yeah.
0: And doing cocaine.
1: And then we have appearing as themselves in more than one episode. I'm just going to read a couple of these. Cause there's quite a few of them. We got Bob Saget, Bob Cat Gothwaite, Carol Burnett, um, Clint black, David Duchovny, who in the show is in love with Larry, Jerry Seinfeld, which famously the Seinfeld lot was right across the way from Larry Sanders show. Robin Williams, John Lovitz, John Stamos, Jason Alexander. I mean, there's just quite a few people uh, that show up for more than one episode. And then after that, even more, because, you know, it's a television show about a talk show. um, There are 339 total credits for this show. Pretty much anybody you can think of who was famous at the time came on here. All right, now that I'm tired of talking, because there was so much there, uh, do we have any awards?
0: Yeah, we actually have awards this time. Is this is our first legitimate award winner. This is a award-winning program. Yes. 56 total nominations and three winners, you said?
1: Well, three Emmy winners.
0: Okay, three Emmy winners. Got it. Uh, winner 1998 for Outstanding Directing for a Comedy Series for the final episode that we'll talk about later. Flip. Todd Holland. Winner 1998. Astounding. <laughs> astounding writing. <laughs> Winner 1998 Outstanding Writing for a Comedy Series for Gary Shandling and Peter Tolan, and 1996 Outstanding Supporting Actor. Did you, who was that in there?
1: Rip. Rip Torn.
0: Rip Torn. uh Rip Torn. Okay, yeah, of course, he deserves it.
1: He does. The faces
0: he's making. That acting. Uh, won two Peabodies. Uh, HBO Brillstein-Greik Entertainment. In '93, one Peabody. Yeah. Okay, and then 1998 flip one as the last episode. And a BAFTA award in nineteen ninety nine, international programmer series.
1: I love that program is spelled the British way.
0: Yeah, programmy. I should have said it the British way too.
1: I don't think they say it that way.
0: Programmy. I think is what they say. The show won. The show won <laughs> twenty four total major awards. Uh, so now we got our episodes. All right, so we got two episodes.
1: We do have two episodes.
0: I'll be picking them because you picked them. So you got to tell me.
1: Well, we always go highest to lowest when we're looking. Um, but you but could have betrayed time, me
0: and lied this time. So that's I, why I need you to I could have. yourself.
1: So there's not a lot of difference for the Larry Sanders show in episode ratings.
0: Yeah, very consistent show.
1: Tremendously consistent. Let me open it up here. Annoyingly so. So the top rated was an 8.5. Uh, which is Flip, the final episode of the series. That is the highest rated episode of the entire series. And then the lowest episode that we went with, we picked, at the time that we looked at this, it was a 7.4. And we went with, like no business, I know. But now that I'm looking at it, as of today, Performance Artist gets a 7.3.
0: Is that a part two? Didn't we have a problem with both being part twos?
1: That was not a part two. That was just a... Mm -hmm um in an effort to freshen up the guest list Larry agrees to have a controversial performance on then chicken's out when he sees the guy's routine but originally we were going to go with the breakdown uh which was a secondary episode okay but yeah so now there's a lower rated episode okay but at the time well, it was 7.4 was the lowest That's inevitable and there were 3 episodes that were 7.4 it was like no business i know uh the breakdown and then Performance artists, They were all a 7.4.
0: Well, good. And I I chose this one because it had Regis Philbin and Bobcat Goldthwait.
1: Correct. So we picked Like No Business I Know, which had a 7.4. And we're going to present them in opposite order this time, mainly because the flip is, well, it's the last episode.
0: Doing a twist.
1: And it also, I think, really, it won a bunch of awards for all the Mm -hmm. episodes. So let's talk about that at the very, very end.
0: I have a lot less to say about the... So-called bad episode.
1: Yeah, the so-called. Yeah. With a 7.4.
0: Season 3, episode 10, Like No Business I Know. I assume they're talking about show business.
1: Rated 7.4.
0: Directed by Todd Holland. Written by Gary Shandling, Dennis Klein, and Mike Martineau. Regis Philbin encourages Hank to consider a career shift. Larry worries that talk show guest Bobcat Goldthwaite will get out of control. I guess that's true. But doesn't he also instigate him going out of control
1: <laughs> i mean for this show yes he 100 percent instigates yeah. him but i guess previously with the the whole stuff with bobcat is what arsenio and jay leno
0: the show opens with a clip of bobcat goldthwaite burning jay leno's couch dropping lighter fluid all over it and lighting it on fire
1: yeah and it's archived footage
0: and uh yeah it's a real thing that happened we looked it up and we found a, an old episode of talk soup where they're going just talking about what happened the previous night.
1: Yeah, Greg Kinnear is the host of Talk Super. Because
0: we asked, we were watching it together, and we said, did this really happen? And I wrote it down. Did Bobcat burn Jay Leno?
1: What was that all about? I wrote Paramount Sucks on the back of his show, and then um,
0: I smashed a couple TV sets, and um, I don't know, I don't want to be rude, Jay, but that's, whatever. That's what? I mean, it worked. I mean, you invited me on your show. (laughs) You know? Now I'm like, I gotta go nuts.
1: And the answer is yes. And the talk soup and Greg Kinnear, will uh that's gonna come up later, if uh when the quiz comes around.
0: Uh Regis Philbin comes in and he's talking to Hank, Jeffrey Tambor, the assistant. Who's uh I don't know enough about uh late night talk shows to to say who he is, but he's he's the guy that he yells out to, right? He's the guy that yells back.
1: Well it's like the um egg McMahon or whatever for uh, Carson, yeah.
0: Ed McMahon, I would know. I, I couldn't name him for Letterman. Or...
1: Well, Conan is um, Andy Richter. Oh, yeah. You're right. And I Thank think you. Letterman, they just use Paul. For is
0: that it. the man guy?
1: Yeah. He, uh, Schaefer. Paul Schaefer. Because he pretty much does all the stuff and does all the interaction with uh, Letterman. Okay. And Jay, I have no idea. I never watched Leno.
0: Same. Uh, Regis Philbin is asking Hank if he would be uh, his sidekick in a talk show. Regis Philbin talks about sending him crackers. And I meant to look this up. I wanted to see. I got to I I love that spot that you and Joyce do with the uh, the crackers. Joey and I have a lot of fun with that commercial. Did you get the uh, box of crackers we sent you?
1: Well, if you look that up, I do want to say that Regis looks great in this episode.
0: Oh, yeah. He's a a little baby.
1: Yeah, he looks like so young. And you know what's (laughs) funny? He's 60 years old.
0: Oh, God. uh, This has been a fruitful search. I just sent you the video
1: oh is that what that is Uh uh-huh oh that's great we'll tell the audience
0: (laughs) so there's a uh commercial for harvest crisp crackers from Nabisco Regis Philbin is just going nuts over them. he is just so excited about how low sodium they are or whatever else it is that he's talking about and then Hank says I don't eat crackers because my wife doesn't let me
1: that's I mean that's I feel like everything in this show is a joke in some way or another Mm -hmm. like it's just so well written
0: and a lot of them I'd never catch. They have to be specific in this way that I'm like, why the why on earth is Regis Philbin talking about crackers? Yeah. <laughs> I figured that had to be a joke because, like, why would you... But, I don't know, maybe just write a joke. The joke is like, wouldn't it be funny if Regis Philbin really liked Pepsi?
1: Yeah, maybe, and then, you know, and it turns and out And And he comes they, in
0: and he's like, where's my Pepsis?
1: After the Regis part uh, with the Hank... I mean, Hank turns him down. Sander Show is his family or whatever. We switch over to... Uh, Gary and Bobcat talking in the office. I gotta go look over my uh, notes, and yeah. uh, you want to talk about this Leno thing on the air? Uh, I I could if you want, but I'd rather not because my lawyer told me just to shut up because I keep making it worse. I keep talking about it, and 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 it just it's not good. And I oh, didn't. Yeah. I mean, I always knew that the uh, the Bobcat voice is ridiculous and exaggerated, but oh, I, you I,
0: mean, I, it talks like this.
1: I feel like it just got worse and worse through the years. Even the last time I heard him was, what, on a Christmas special for Bob's Burgers, and that was awful.
0: Well, now he's getting legitimately old, so maybe, you know how your mom says, you make a face like that and it'll stick? No, maybe. You make a voice like that, it sticks.
1: Yeah, you've done enough damage to your uh, voice box.
0: (laughs) It reminds me of the pimply teen from from The Simpsons, but less charming.
1: Way less charming.
0: I love Bobcat Goldthwait, though. I'm not gonna, I'll stand up for it. I think Bobcat Goldthwait is funny.
1: I don't I love know. Him mo- in I love his stuff movie.
0: I've, I talked to- about it last time. Shakes the clown. That's a fun movie.
1: I don't have enough. I don't know enough about him to have opinions, and we'll get to that because I, I have something in my notes here talking about that.
0: So they're talking to Bobcat and telling him not to cause any trouble.
1: Yes, that's essentially what the meaning was.
0: Riptorn threatens him if he touches the plants that he will die.
1: I love the plant gag. It's literally almost at every episode. It seems like
0: uh, Riptorn is really swinging for the fences this entire time. He is chewing the scenery. He's a little less ridiculous in our next episode, but in this one, he's making some faces that are uh, inhuman.
1: And I love it just him. looks like he had a lot of fun on this show. Because yeah. I, I definitely, um, I watched a couple more episodes, and uh-huh. just everything is, it's just so good for him.
0: I think you just let him do whatever he wants.
1: It's very possible. I mean, I could quote a bunch of his stuff um, from the episodes that I watched. They're just so good. I think my favorite quote out of the two episodes we... Um, watched is from this episode, and we'll get to that towards the end. From the threat, I think we go, what, to the office Hank meets with his agent, which is uh, Phil Leeds, by the way, which is yeah, fantastic.
0: Yeah, And I like that he uh, he's like, oh, Regis Philbin, sweet kid. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's so funny to think of this, this octogenarian now, and you're like, what a sweet kid that ancient man is.
1: Well, yeah, I mean, Phil Leeds was born in 1916, and Regis was born in 1931.
0: That's not that different to me, but
1: yeah. Well, I mean, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Thinking back to it at the time. Yeah. One was 80 something. The other one was only 60. Yeah.
0: When usually people only live to be like 25 back then. So <laughs> they're both doing pretty well.
1: I actually, I like when Hank comes in and Hank's surprised that Phil's there. And he's like, What are you doing here? And Phil's like, Your wife called me. He's like, Oh, yeah. <laughs> I told her to call you. Wives, don't eat lunch with them. I
0: have that in my notes. Or when his guy.
1: wife, Hank's wife, calls and uh, Hank asks for privacy, and uh-huh. he's like, "Do you mind giving me, you know, some privacy, some space?" And um, his agent Sydney, or played by Phil, is, says, "You realize I have to get off the couch, then, right?" And they make <laughs> this like five to eight second long bit of him exaggeratingly getting off the couch.
0: One day I'll be that old man. I guess I already am.
1: He doesn't want to take the job with Regis because yeah. if Regis is leaving his daytime show, then there's a spot open on the daytime he show. With the Kathy Lee. Yeah, he it. wants to be the new Regis. That's wants
0: to be. Hank and Kathy Lee.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's right. Hank and Kathy Lee. But
0: then it turns out that he he uh, has a history with Kathy Lee. It, it's a good. It's a good joke. We'll
1: just pipe it in, right? Yeah. Well, let's just pipe it in instead of yeah. explaining it. Yeah. She feels there'll be some difficulty. She said that in so many words. What'd she say? She doesn't want to work with you. She said that? In so many words. Come on, what she is... She hates you. She hates me? How could she hate me? She doesn't even... She doesn't even know me. She mentioned something about an auto show in, in Buffalo in 1979 where you locked her in the, in the trunk of a Camaro where she puts it for laughs. No. What? Oh, no, 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 no. That's Kathy Lee Crosby.
0: No. Oh. Oh, shit. So that doesn't work out. And then he gets called into the office with Arthur. Arthur. Yep. And Arthur's going to deal. He heard about the Regis Philbin thing. He's going to deal with it. Well, Because Arthur's so, the fixer. I was going to say, Arthur's
1: the, the fixer. He literally knows everything that happens. And they play this out in this episode in like nine different ways. Because they start that conversation or something like that.
0: Saying, he tells Larry, he says, I heard Regis is going to offer this to him. And Larry's like, what do we do about it? And he says, I'll handle it. Yes. And he's, do you want to know what I'm going to do? And, and Larry's like, no, don't tell me. That's right. Just handle it.
1: Because <laughs> they have that whole bit in the office that when they're talking, like, sit down. We're going to have a man-to-man talk. And then um, Hank's like, oh, you finally did, it, you know, got with the uh, the girl from NBC. And he says nothing <laughs> except, I know about the Regis thing. <laughs>
0: mm-hmm.
1: And Hank's just so surprised. Like, how do you know this? Uh-huh. And then they get into it. And he's like, and I know you don't actually want to be a psychic. You're going for the morning show thing and <laughs> hank's even more like amazed that he knows
0: and then uh and then he's saying you know you're whipped by your wife
1: yeah i have this i put it in parentheses but we'll just skip over that that uh the wife runs the relationship
0: yeah he's he's cat whipped <laughs> uh, He and I, I like when hank opens the door and he says and then he says because like, he says everyone knows that and then he opens the door he says you're wrong you're all wrong and yeah. then
1: closes the door again <laughs> Uh, but they keep arguing or whatever, and then Hank quits, and Arthur just lets him go. Fine, you quit, and then a, they do the. This is my bit last show. Like...
0: I'm a professional. I'll do tonight, and then that's it.
1: And he goes that. That's when they go and they start the show.
0: We hear uh, who's playing. You, you said the name earlier.
1: It's Michael Bolton. Yeah, we never see him, but they talk about him constantly. Yeah. At one point, they're the girls, like the assistants, are having a conversation with, with the, Bobcat. Bobcat, and they they don't want to talk to him anymore. Like, oh, it's it's Michael.
0: He's looking real schlubby, Bobcat. I think it's it, this is his shlubbiest phase.
1: So Hank quits, and before uh, we start the show, he goes back and he talks to his agent again, and that's when he finds out that Kathy Lee fucking hates him.
0: He's like, "That's not Kathy Lee Gifford. That's Ka- uh, Kathy Lee Corbin." And
1: Crosby, then, yeah. like, he has the realization, and he's like, "Shit, shit, shit! What do I do?" And then he's like, "Well, you should accept the offer from Regis, since you just quit."
0: And so they sit on the couch, they're sitting on a couch during the break, during the show, and he turns the region and says, I'd like to take it. And he says, well, I can't wait until 1997
1: then. Yeah, the end of 97. So he's got to wait yeah. three years. Fall of 97.
0: <laughs> uh, so he's panicking. 100%. Let's just get to the end of, of, of his story, right?
1: Yeah, let's do that.
0: He begins panicking. Uh, things start going wrong. And then he comes back to, to Larry at the end, and he's panicking. And he doesn't know what to say. And Larry just says, I'll see you tomorrow. And he says, yeah, yeah, I'll be here
1: tomorrow. Yeah, he tells uh, Larry to tell Arthur, to tell Artie that he'll see him tomorrow, essentially.
0: And Artie says, oh, yeah, he quit. I handled it. You told me not to ask, not to tell you.
1: <laughs> so you hired him back.
0: Glad to hear it. Did not care. He had it all under control. He's a right. yep genius man.
1: Uh, and then we can go back to the Bobcat part yeah. where uh, Larry asks the question anyway about lighting the couch on fire. And then Bobcat. You know, throw shit all over the place, destroy. Like, set. Is that
0: what you want me to do? Ruin your set?
1: And he throws something through the backdrop and hits Sydney.
0: Uh-huh.
1: They bring he him in. Knock this in a... old
0: man out of his wheelchair.
1: Yeah, they... <laughs> they bring him in in a wheelchair to guilt Bobcat. Uh-huh. And Rip's like, "I well, uh, Arthur already says, I'll walk you back to your uh, the green room so you don't mess anything else up. And he's like, we're not on live TV. We'll I'm not going to do it televised. again.
0: <laughs> I don't have any reason to wreck anything. So so my one my one thing about the show is that I've seen so little Larry Sanders in this show just watching these two episodes. It's a, yeah. one of the weaknesses of our format is that I don't really know uh, enough about Larry Sanders to know why he did any of the things he did in this episode.
1: So I only watched, I think, six or seven episodes out of season one, and it seems he doesn't really have much of a, a backbone when it comes okay. to anything. So he'll say something um, just assuming that the person he says like, yeah, I would love to do that. Or yeah, come back or whatever, Uh that they're not actually going to do that. And then he's always surprised when they do do the thing he (laughs) says they can do. Okay. And that's kind of how that bit ends up going a lot of the time.
0: Okay. That makes sense. Uh,
1: But I want to get more of
0: that in the next episode.
1: We will get that in the next episode a little bit. Um, But before we move out of this one, my favorite favorite quote here. Yeah. Uh, So they're right before they go out, Arthur basically says that he handled the thing with Hank before the show starts. And then Arthur says, the flies. Flies open. Thank you. Don't mention it. Part of my job. Looking at my crotch. I consider it a perk.
0: That's funny. And I can imagine Rip Torn's face saying that.
1: And that's the thing. He's, got, like, like,
0: like, he's doing like I can not
1: I can't... I wouldn't even try to give this delivery because... Yeah. Just like the facial expressions and the way that- I consider it a perk. He yeah, d- delivers his lines, just makes the the whole thing. So if this is the worst episode, I mean-
0: Yeah, this is a good result, because this, this is a totally fine episode. There's is nothing great. objectionable. It's funny. It's great.
1: The jokes are good. We definitely laughed in quite a few places.
0: And honestly, it's educational, because I didn't know that Bobcat Goldthwait lit Jalen set on fire and now Uh, i
1: do i didn't even know he was that type of personality back in the day. i learned
0: a history lesson maybe that's why jerry seinfeld hates him so much oh
1: maybe well jerry never admits the name but
0: calls him that darn cat
1: i remember watching um comedians in cars and there are quite a few episodes where he kind of talks smack on the guy it was not the gary shandling episode though
0: all right what's the next episode
1: Well, our next episode, we get to move on to the best episode of the series with a 8.4 rating is Flip, Season 6, Episode 12. Directed by Todd Holland, written by Gary Shandling, Dennis Klein, and Peter Tolan. The series finale, Larry scrambles to get his last show together uh, and must confront David Duchovny's affection in order to land him as a guest.
0: It's interesting that that one interaction makes the synopsis because it's one of like 15 similar sized interactions that happens.
1: It is, but David plays it so well and it is so It's awkward. fantastic.
0: <laughs> and this is, this is the second time we've had the season f- series finale be the best rated episode of the series.
1: It is. Uh, what
0: was the other one? Saved by the bell.
1: Oh, that's right. That's right.
0: And good for them. Cause usually it's the exact opposite. It uh, usually is.
1: I know. So for this episode, it opens with a clip of, Jack Parr's farewell from his primetime show, Mm -hmm. not when he was on late night, uh, which fun fact Parr walked off in the middle of his uh, late night show uh, on the tonight show because of a censorship problem. Um, And he literally did not come back to the show for a month. Cool. And when he came back, his opening line was, as I was saying before I was interrupted, (laughs) and then just went into it, got like roarish applause. That's fun. But yeah, so that's what that opening uh ep- um intro is is it's uh, that's Jack Parr giving his farewell to his very last episode of Primetime. Cuz he was so popular when he left the Tonight Show that they were like, "Here's your Primetime show on Fridays."
0: And he was like, "All right, I'm tired."
1: It was also the 50s. Um
0: there were only five people in Hollywood. Yeah. <laughs> so they had to it was like, "I guess we'll do you." So this episode is pretty straightforward structurally.
1: Structurally, yes.
0: It's just it's a series of little things getting ready for the actual show, which takes a while. This is a double-length episode. That's why we moved it. Is because yeah. we're going to have a lot more to talk about probably in this one than, than the last one.
1: 40-something minutes instead of the normal 22 uh, or whatever it is. Yeah,
0: They're bringing a lot of uh, past characters that I don't recognize, but they're doing enough funny stuff that it doesn't matter. Uh, everyone's sitting around crying. Everyone's just losing it. They're all sad. Uh, and Rip Torn tells them to get it together. And then he goes and walks off, and then the camera changes three times. He walks through three different sets.
1: Forty seconds worth of following Riptorn walking from multiple sets.
0: He walks into the dressing room closet, and then he just and he's like <laughs> making some strange noises. And then he blows his nose on a on a expensive jacket, and then walks off.
1: That's it. Uh, my other favorite Riptorn happens like right before that. Well, he just finished watching the par thing to try to write his final like goodbye, mm-hmm. and he asks uh, Riptorn if. Uh, uh, he should uh, thank God at the end, and uh, Arthur Arnie is like, well, hell, yeah, well, hell, we've plugged everyone else on the program. Let's
0: give the, give deity, the deity his due." Yeah.
1: It starts strong with the rip. And who do we have as a, I mean, before we even go through the rest of the story, let's talk about all the guest stars on this. Carol Burnett shows up, Clint Black, Tom Petty. I, I,
0: it's funny that someone asked who's Clint Black because I don't know who Clint Black is. And I was like, yeah, who's he's Clint a country Black?
1: star who was pretty uh, popular uh, during the time period.
0: Yeah, '90s music is a is a hole for me because I never got into it at the time, and taste wise, I've never seen any reason any reason to go back.
1: Uh, that's the early pop stuff. That some of it's actually pretty good. Greg Kinnear, David Duchovny, Jim Carrey, John Stewart, Jerry Seinfeld, Tom Petty. I did say Tom Petty, Bruno Kirby. Sean Penn, Tim Allen, Ellen. Uh, but yeah, they're, I mean, we're talking about them because mainly the scene after, um, Arthur does his little cry, they're, they're in the office trying to figure out who they're going to get to show up. And the big one they want to show up is Jim Carrey.
0: But he might not show up because they didn't plug Ace Ventura.
1: They did not. And well, he definitely holds that against Larry.
0: Yeah, let's talk about all of Jim Carrey. Let's, I don't, let's not go in order. Who cares?
1: Okay. I mean, we're talking about Jim Carrey. We could talk about Jim Carrey.
0: So, uh, Jim Carrey comes on, and he just does this, like, it's fun to see old 90s Jim Carrey again. Yes. Because this is definitely, like...
1: Over-the-top, perfect yeah, Jim Carrey.
0: Doing some weird faces. He he sings a song. Well, I have that written down he pelvic here. Pelvic thrusts. On. Let's do that.
1: He's singing, and I'm telling you... Oh, and I'm telling you goodbye. That's written by Tom and uh, originally sung by Jennifer Holliday in the late 80s. From Showgirls no 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 no, 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 no we' without're without you. Now you can go into how ridiculous it was. yeah, he's just he's walking
0: all over the place, standing on the desk, pelvic thrusting in his face, and just generally being a good and wacky character, and then they go to commercial and uh and Larry says something nice to Jim Carrey, and Jim Carrey's like cut the shit like you don't you don't like me yep he just like immediately he's like he's like don't don't pull this with me you never respected me
1: and he's like we're on commercial break this is real it's basically just a big fuck you at the end
0: are you doing a bit now yeah he says no we're on we're on commercial break this is real life
1: i think even better than like the 90s jim carrey thing where he's doing the singing and all that stuff halfway through the song they cut to tom petty who's fucking pissed yeah that somebody else is singing at this point in time. Yeah,
0: because Tom Petty was hired to sing, and he never actually does it.
1: No, he doesn't. He gets mad we get a, and fights we get a dressing, with
0: people. We get a dressing room joke scene, and that's it.
1: Which is a it's a great dressing room joke scene. It's between Petty, uh, Greg Kinnear, Clint Black, and Bruno Kirby, uh, and Rip Torn eventually shows up because he's got to break up the fight, and they're basically just fighting over uh, the the song stuff. That yeah. you know, and uh Kirby says something about um, Kinnear being uh, an Ox- Oscar nominated now. And then Petty uh says for what? Talk suit? For that
0: scintillating Bobcat Goldthwaite coverage that we that we found.
1: Clint Black comes in and says, I'm the one who's singing and he's also annoyed that uh mm-hmm. Jim Carrey sang. But they then Petty says, uh, I'm not singing anymore. I and mean, you already got Roy Rogers and then, you know, those two fight. And Rip Torn breaks it up, and that's the whole that's the whole scene there.
0: But before the show, the main thing Larry gets up to is he has to he's trying to find because someone canceled, right?
1: They couldn't get somebody, I think is what it was. Okay, I'm not sure if it, but they had to replace them, and the only person they could think of was Duchovny. They make Larry Sanders call Duchovny, and he's got his phone number memorized.
0: And he so says he's got his phone number memorized because we're very good friends. And, <laughs> yeah. And then and then and then David's like David's like oh, I can't. I can't talk right now. Hold on. I gotta go to the other room. It's my mother. It's
1: it's my mother. Yeah. And he won't talk to him. He's like, I'll be (laughs) in town tomorrow. Have lunch with me.
0: Well, and I, and I also, the nice detail of, he's like, how things with Taya. I see it's was Leone at the time. Yeah. That'd be my guess. Uh, And, and he said, David he's fine. And then Larry says, oh, I'm dating someone. Uh, And he's like, hello. Uh, Did we get disconnected? David Duchovny's like, uh-huh. He's like, we can have lunch tomorrow.
1: And then they have lunch in his hotel yeah. room.
0: They show up at the hotel room, and David Duchovny's in his robe, and he's uh, basic instincting.
1: Constantly. Yeah. And they keep having Gary Shanley, like Larry Sanders, looking down. Just
0: staring straight into his...
1: And then he would look up away, like he's not paying attention to Yeah, it.
0: into his dark zone.
1: Hey, I heard you got rid of Stevie Grant. Did. Yeah. yeah. His behavior was so detestable. Is that a
0: word? It's a funny bit. It's a good bit, yeah. It's fun to see David Duchovny being funny, because I've been watching The X-Files slowly over time, and he is real wooden in it. Yeah, a little bit. The X-Files has has trouble having fun. I don't know if it gets any better at it. I I will, think, I'm sure we'll talk about this later, but...
1: I think all of my favorite Duchovny ones are like the, uh, the comedy roles, too, like Zoolander and stuff like that. That's the best stuff, because he, he delivers the lines so dryly and perfectly that you just can't help but to be amused by them. He's willing to
0: do some wild stuff. What's next?
1: Uh, Carol Burnett. Carol Burnett comes out. They do the bit where uh, Larry uh, says she was the first person he thought of or whatever, and she's annoyed because she knows that's not true.
0: I, I, no, I, I don't believe you because I know I was not the first person you called
1: she uh-huh. calls out Ellen and they do this whole thing that Larry's like kind of a piece of crap and a terrible person and blah 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 and it would have been funny if the we didn't know what we knew today about Ellen.
0: Yeah.
1: It was that simple?
0: And so they just both get mad at him and, he, and, he, and then he gets mad and goes to commercial.
1: Yep. What they had like He says uh, he says
0: hey, I'm over here and this is my last
1: episode. Bruno Kirby gets bumped. And he's mad about it, and he goes to talk to Arthur, and Arthur says, don't worry, we'll have you on another time. Uh huh. And uh, he's like, what are you talking about? There is no other time. This is the last episode, and that's when Arthur gets all choked up again and just smiles and walks away from him. Uh, Clint Black sings one of his own songs.
0: Well, before that, did you know that famous war
1: correspondent Sean Penn was once an actor? Yeah, yeah. He was on here, too, and he tells a really weird story, and that literally nothing happens (laughs) else-wise.
0: Yeah. And then Jerry Seinfeld shows up.
1: He does. He interrupts Hank's thank you speech, and Hank gets really mad about that. Clint Black sings uh, A Bad Goodbye, which is his own song. Tim Allen shows up.
0: For me, this was like like a real late night show. The guy started singing, and I immediately picked up my phone. I kept looking back as the jokes happened, but I was just like, I don't care about this
1: song. To be fair, it's an old song. It feels like an old song, but he had a pretty good performance.
0: Oh, well, there's nothing wrong with it. I just like have never been particularly interested in watching a musical performance. Uh, I guess this is just like, my own thing, but it's like everything that has ever done that I've been like, oh, it's time to time to walk away from the TV, time to do something else.
1: Um, And I think that's everybody that shows up on the show. Hey, Tim, Jungle to Jungle, underrated. Oh, yeah, that's right. Um. Oh, John Stewart's at the beginning because uh, he's replacing Larry Sanders on yeah. Monday,
0: and that's when he's uh talking to Bob Odenkirk.
1: Yes, Saul and then, Goodman. And then we get Odenkirk with another agent, I guess, in the um in like a green room, snorting some coke and going crazy about how shitty actors are.
0: Fucking celebrity circle jerk.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, I do like when they come on stage and they have like some of the old people come back, like the Jeremy Piven thing that you said. The Piven bit. Um, Larry Sanders walks up to him. They shake hands and he says, Jerry, right? And he's like, yeah. And then Larry Sanders says, gosh, I fired you four fucking years ago. <laughs> and He's like, yeah, I'm just back to back to
0: see if you would smile and smile and laugh if you saw me again, like a coward.
1: And then they just he's shake. like, now and we eat. know. <laughs> and we move on to the next one. And they make the, it's the sound guy who dropped the boom or whatever. And he's like, said something about how he was the shortest lived sound guy ever to be uh-huh. fired he only lasted like four days or something still like a record that. i think that's it for the show because then they do the goodbye no uh, flipping
0: we got us because uh, oh every yeah time he goes to commercial break that's a, that's the thing the whole show is he's that's always right. says no flipping which is why this episode is called flip
1: and then he says at the end very end of his speech you may flip now and gets all emotional
0: he gives a good emotional speech that's a good he does it's a good yeah. speech
1: i don't know exactly what i'm going to do without you thank you so much God bless you, and you may not flip. And then they reminisce and sit on the stage looking at the torn down set, and yeah. Hank comes out and uh, really tries Get to lay into them. them. Yeah. And they start where they're like, whoa, let's, let's not fight now, Hank, and whatnot. And then about halfway through, they just start smiling and nodding like this is uh-huh. just Hank's normal bullshit.
0: Thank you for not letting me say my thank you. I mean, I knew you guys were pieces of shit, but I, you know. And he storms out and they hear a crash. And yep. then they, they're like, how oh, was that? And then he comes back in crying. And they bring him in for the hug and say, you know, you can keep the couch. Yeah, you
1: can take the couch home.
0: But then he's like, he's like, I thought I was in reverse. <laughs> I'm hooked up on the dumpster. And I can't get off. I need help.
1: Yeah, he's just, I'm sorry. I didn't yeah. mean it.
0: Yeah. I was just and mad. They I'm hug such a and prick. that's it.
1: Uh, well right before they, it all ends they let uh, Gary Shant- Larry Sanders uh, to do the look back which I'm happy they didn't do the light turn off thing so the that look back is more in like is better than anything else and that's it that's the end of the series and it was great
0: yeah good good show good episode I'm gonna watch more of it Let's, I'm definitely gonna watch uh, I'm, more I'm getting I'm getting ahead of myself where where do we I guess I don't it's, it'd be under new feelings right so it would be Let's talk about where it's streaming
1: Um, You can watch the show if you want On HBO or Hulu with HBO add-on YouTube TV with an HBO add-on So, HBO
0: Well, that's straightforward
1: New feelings I love it I mean, I never watched it before
0: All my feelings are new Because I had no old feelings Uh, It's new to me it's great. I'll watch more of it.
1: I already. It's started. fun seeing some
0: of this old, weird stuff. And it's. I think it's educational.
1: And honestly, the writing is some of the best writing I've seen in a while. And this is from 1993, uh, basically, for the time period. I mean, I can imagine why this was so heavily uh, lauded. Because it just, just offers a new, fresh look into something. I mean, there are definitely jokes that I don't get because obviously it's not <laughs> the 90s anymore, yeah. which we've talked about. The Regis Crackers, right? We literally had to look that up. <laughs> um, toys? There were none.
0: Regrettably. I really wish. I was
1: really hopeful that I could find like an action figure or something out there, but I, I could not.
0: I've got a fascination with really boring action figures. Like I've got my J. Jonah Jameson oh, action nice. figure with that comes with a desk that you can pound and it shakes and so
1: I would have loved a talk show have, host. I think I would have bought a Larry Sanders figure if I could find one. <laughs> Did you happen to find any additional fun facts? Because really, I only found the one and then the few that we peppered through the the episodes themselves. No,
0: I really don't have anything.
1: Yeah, so uh, the, the David Duchovny-Larry Sanders interaction, like that sexual interaction tension thing, um, that was pitched by Duchovny himself. Which I believe and think is fantastic. Should we rate this? Yeah, let's rate it. What do you got? You usually rank first, so you. I'm gonna do a thirteen. Thirteen. I am doing a fourteen point five. I can't give it a perfect fifteen because I I just can't. But you never know. You're you'll know the time when the time is right. And then finally, is it nastier than Wolf Bronsky? No. Yeah, not at all. I don't think so. What are we doing next episode?
0: Uh, this is a fun one. Uh. Uh, don't tell me. I'm going to remember. I'm not looking at the thing. Uh, so I'm going uh, to... Uh,
1: Dick Van Dyke. Uh,
0: diagnosis murder.
1: That's it. Next Hell episode yeah. is diagnosis murder.
0: This is one... This is a childhood favorite. I'm so excited to get back to that.
1: And you can find us at www.90schmaltz.cool. Uh, we're on Instagram at 90schmaltz. Um, or wherever you get your podcast. We're on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify... And if you have any questions, comments, likes, or, you know, other likes, you can send us word to 90SCHMALTZ at gmail.com. See you next time. Good night. I raised it from a mere nut.